Recording in progress. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Drinking wine on a Monday. To all those listeners out there, thanks for staying tuned for this one. It's a doozy. It took us some time. Yeah. Yeah, We already recorded the whole thing first. (laughs) Well, we already recorded once already, but um, it's fine. Yeah, that was a train wreck. So here we are again. (laughs) (laughs) Round two. Fine, right. Take two. Uh, anyways well yeah so today talking about uh elizabeth smart jess has done a bunch of research and listening and reading and uh watching and watching (laughs) everything hopefully we do a good job Um, do her her some justice (laughs) yeah it's a strong lady she's incredible she's incredible um she is a survivor just coming out with that she's like an advocate now for survivors of sexual abuse which is awesome um so let's get started um let's go So Elizabeth Smart was born on November 3rd, 1987 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Her parents were Edward and Lois Smart. At the time, Edward was a successful real estate developer and Lois was a stay-at-home mom. Elizabeth is the second oldest child in her family with four brothers named Charles, Andrew, William, and Edward, and one sister named Mary Catherine. Six kids. I... Shout out to Edward and Lois for that (laughs) because that's a big no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But Elizabeth was known to be a kind, intelligent, and kind of shy kid. And by the age of five, she started playing and developing a passion for the harp, which, like, I wasn't even introduced to. Yeah, I wasn't even introduced to instruments. Instruments. How do you say that word? <laughs> until <laughs> until I was like in third grade. She's five playing she was, the harp. Yeah. And it yeah, it's very what did we say last time? It was Bridgerton. Oh and yeah. Bridgerton. Like it takes a special kind of person to play the harp <laughs> at five years old. The Smart family regularly attended church at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So LDS. So Mormon faith. Yes. In Salt Lake City, which I think for them is um, like, like that, like is the Mormon capital. That's like where they reside. Okay. Yeah. Um, So on the night of June 4th, 2002, 14 year old Elizabeth attended an award ceremony at her school with her family. She won several awards for academics and athletics. So she's just an overall like, renaissance child oh man yeah Yeah. (laughs) renaissance child yeah because she's only 14 at this point yeah according to her father ed in the youtube documentary titled the kidnapping of elizabeth smart when they got home they gathered as a family and said their evening prayer this was part of their normal routine they did this every night 
he put the kids to bed and kissed the girls goodnight. They shared a room. Um, but around Elizabeth and her sister, Mary Catherine. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, around 3 a.m. on June 5th, Mary Catherine, her nine-year-old sister, burst into her parents' bedroom and woke them up saying, quote, someone's taken Elizabeth. Ed thinks that Mary Catherine has just had a bad dream, but he goes to check the house anyways. He goes through room by room with no luck. And when he gets downstairs to the kitchen, he sees that one of the window screens had been cut open. Lois also sees this and starts yelling to call 911. The sheer panic that these poor parents must be like feeling, you know, like your nine-year-old wakes you up and says, my sister's gone, you know, from her home at 3 a.m. Like, and, you know, Salt Lake City with the big Mormon church community is a safe community. Mm-hmm. So yeah, especially that's at this point. Yeah. Very terrifying. Yeah. Um, so it turns out the night before Lois had been cooking dinner and burnt the potatoes. So she opened that window in the kitchen to allow the smoke out. So was the window open or it was shut, I, just not s- locked. So I think my research says that the window she had just left it open, even if it was just cracked or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the suspect had a knife and yeah. they cut the screen. All that for some burnt potatoes. I don't know, I guess, what burnt potatoes smell like, but if it's anything like burnt popcorn, I guess I understand. I feel like burnt popcorn is the worst though. Yeah, that's a vile smell. (laughs) (laughs) After they had called the police, Edward started calling everyone he knew, family, neighbors, friends, and people immediately started mobilizing and looking for Elizabeth, which is incredible. Yeah, like I said, that tight-knit community of the church that they have there, I mean... Yeah. By the time police arrived, though, Elizabeth's extended family had already been in the home, so the crime scene was contaminated. Oh, no. I know. I know. Which, like, I understand, like, your first priority isn't preserve the crime scene, it's find my daughter. So, like, as much as that is terrible, you know, to, it's like a double-edged sword where it's, you know, thankfully people were here to look for her, but at the same time, evidence may be tampered with or Mm -hmm. gone at this point right yeah eventually around 7 a.m police try to empty the house logging everyone's name who had come in then they go about clearing the family members as suspects okay so doing some damage control yeah captain Lori, captain Corey lyman is the lead investigator on this case um, Ed's brother Tom at the time worked for the Desert News, so he was able to use that platform to rally people to help with the search of Elizabeth. More than 2,000 people came to help with the first search. Holy moly! And it is calculated that over 10,000 people helped in searches overall. Wow, talk about it. I'm sitting here talking about a tight knit community. That is, yeah, why insane. Yeah. I wish, I wish that was the case like everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate how shocked I am that there was that many people helping to look for this little girl. Yeah. 
After about a week of doing media, Ed was committed to the hospital for three days due to a mental break because he was getting no sleep, which I would probably be the same. Her poor father. Yeah. The police investigated some contractors that worked on their house a while back. Richard Reese was a person of interest because he had previously stolen items established value of $35,000 from the small smart home. Which didn't now, we do the math? It was like sixty thousand dollars or something. It's like fifty-five thousand. Oh my gosh! Current day, fifty-five thousand dollars. Like, yeah. Here's my contractor came to fix my kitchen, stole fifty-five thousand dollars from me. Like, what? Stole? That's like a really nice car. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. His alibi was that he was in bed sleeping next to his wife the night that Elizabeth was kidnapped, and his wife actually said the same thing. Okay, but, like, can your wife really be your alibi? I was home eating chicken soup. Like, okay, me too. (laughs) But he also took a polygraph and passed. I guess that makes it a little more believable. But polygraphs are so unreliable. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's a way there to people, get out of it. There, there are people that know how to, how to tweak their, like, reactions, I guess. Yeah. Crazy people that, like, you know, steal children out of their homes at 3 a.m. Yeah. Probably Anyways. are cold enough to get out of a polygraph. Yeah. Um, but police also compared partial fingerprints found in Elizabeth and Mary Catherine's bedroom, but they were not a match to Reese. Luckily, Reese gets arrested for a parole violation and is contained without any rights. Police try to smoke him out by essentially psychologically torturing him, but he does not budge. It turns out that Mary Catherine was awake when her sister was taken out of their room that night, which how traumatizing to and just see your sister getting taken at knife point. Yeah. I wonder if they had like a nightlight and she like was able to see anything or if it was really just like pitch black and she, you know, just saw somebody. I mean, I guess there had to have been moonlight for her to see that or the window. Like if there were no shades drawn, the moonlight. Oh, yeah, that's true. So she said that she had seen her sister be taken out of the room and she said that it was not Richard Reese who took her. Which, I mean, he obviously did a lot of work on their house. I feel like she would, you know, know him well enough to know if it was him or not. Yeah. Right. Within the first month, 31,000 leads had been called in and investigated. Reese was the strongest suspect, but there was no evidence. Reese died from a brain aneurysm three months after Elizabeth was adopted. So if it had been him and he just, you know, passed this polygraph because he's a cold person it's mm-hmm. you would never get it he's gone there's no confession to be had yeah because there's no evidence the letdown oh about a month after elizabeth was taken someone had even tried to break into her cousin's house the cops were called but this was brushed off as a copycat the family however believed this was the same person who kidnapped elizabeth and it gave them hope that she was still alive What are the odds somebody attacks the same family? The same family twice. It's it's too much of a coincidence. Like on October 12th, 2002. So 
four months after Elizabeth has, was taken, Mary Catherine told her dad that she thinks she knows who took her sister. Just she like said it out yeah. of the blue one day was like, well, dad. So a child's brain, it takes a minute to process things, right? Cause she's probably traumatized to put that into that, the mix that, and she's not, her brain's not fully developed and she probably tried to block out what she could without realizing if that makes sense. Like, and there's actually a phenomenon when it's like on the tip of your tongue, like she probably did. Like, I know who you are. I know who you are, but how do I know who you are? Those, those neurons get blocked, especially in, you know, a trauma response. So it probably, maybe it just kind of, she eased up and, and it came to her. She said this was a homeless man who had come and worked on the roof at the smart house one time. A homeless man. Homeless man. So she recalls walking downtown with her family and her mom gave this homeless man $5 and offered him a job at their house, which like how sweet is Lois, but like stranger danger. Yeah. Right. Right? But that's really sweet. Like she has a big heart for doing that. Yeah. Like I will, you know, give you money for working, try and help you get on your feet somehow, but geez. Yeah. So Lois asked for his name and he said his name was Emmanuel. He came, worked for one day and then never went back. The police took this information and asked the family to keep things under wraps as much as they could so they wouldn't scare him away. About a month later, the family decided to tell John Walsh, who I guess was a close family friend, but he's also the host of America's Most Wanted. I was about to say, like, (laughs) John Walsh, like John Walsh, like, yes, (laughs) okay. So the family told him what was happening and he aired it on national television, including a composite sketch. And the sketch shows Emmanuel as having short hair, sunken cheekbones, light eyes, and is clean shaven. Well, that's directly against what the police said to do. So solid. A woman came forward after reading the description of Emmanuel in the Desert Times saying this man could be her brother, Brian David Mitchell get out that's my brother oh my goodness I mean that's my that could be my brother that yeah oh I would feel so guilty and like (laughs) that's my brother I mean I don't know if everybody's you are super close with your brother but like I am yeah I would probably defend him to the end and doubt that he did something but yeah um, so now I'm going to get into Brian David Mitchell. Like who he is as a person. Like who he is, where he comes from, a little mm-hmm. bit of his background. Brian David Mitchell was born on October 18th, 1953. Oh my God, that's my nephew's birthday. <laughs> For a second, I was stuck on 1953 and I was okay, like, no, 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 what? October 18th. He's, he's not even, he's like four months old. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like no 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 1953 he was the third of six children in a mormon family one of six Mm -hmm. i just can't get over these numbers these people it's like oh if i have 10 children like i get you know when you didn't think three were gonna survive but like this is modern day medicine i know just wait though hold on 
So uh, growing up, instead of the birds and bees talk, his father showed his adolescent son photos from a medical journal. Oh, that's scarring. To say the least. Oh. It's also reported that his father would drive him to unfamiliar parts of Salt Lake City and leave him, forcing him to find his way home. So well, that's a, a different route, guy. That's such a different route than like Boy Scouts. Like, oh, okay, that's that's not loving, if you ask me. But okay, teach their own. Maybe a parenting advice tip that you don't do that to your children. No, no. When he was sixteen, he exposed himself to a child and was sent to juvie. At sixteen. Hmm. Okay. When he was 19, he married a woman named Karen Miner and had two children with her. Karen was only 16 when they got married. Shortly after the kids were born, they divorced and Karen got full custody. Like, that's just a pattern of bad behavior. Yeah. Brian David Mitchell had a history of drug and alcohol abuse in his adulthood, which like... Par for the course. Okay. Yeah. He married again this time to a woman named Debbie, and they had two kids as well. Debbie had three other children from a previous marriage, and she eventually divorced him, and on the day of their divorce was final, Brian married Wanda Barzi. So he was married to this chick, and then on the day of their divorce, he marries someone else. There are no words. Wanda had six kids of her own. What is up with all of these handfuls of children? No. I believe that's just the Mormon way. You just have children. Like six, to be exact. Together, Wanda and Brian were very involved in the LDS church, which is the same church that um, the Smart family belonged to. But... Because he kept claiming himself as a prophet of God who experienced visions, he was excommunicated. <laughs> the man crazy. I know. Like, actually, me and my two ex-wives and four children, and now I'm a prophet of God. Like, oh, are you, Mr. Alcoholic Man? No, sir. No, sir at all. Brian David Mitchell had been arrested twice during the time that Elizabeth was missing. Once in Salt Lake City in September 2002 for shoplifting, and then again in California in February 2003 for breaking into a church. He broke into a church? Yeah, I think he was trying to steal money. Pictures of Brian from the time he was arrested showed him as having very long hair and a long beard, wearing what looks like a white robe. Um, so that's very different from the composite that was aired on America's Most Wanted. Yeah, that would definitely throw people off. You know, like if that's, you know, if you're looking for him, and but you're really looking for a skinny, sunken in face man with. But yeah, but thankfully for his sister. That's true. They were looking for him specifically. Right. When seen in public, he was either by himself preaching on the street, asking for money, or he was with two women who wore veils over their faces. Twelve weeks after her abduction, there was a call to the police that said Elizabeth was at the library. 
A detective went to investigate and encountered three people, including one man and two women, all draped in robes, the women wearing veils. He asked to see the women's faces, but the man convinced him it was against their religion. So the detective walked away. And they've confirmed today that that's who it was. Yes. <sighs> Could you imagine being that detective? Uh, you know. Oh. John Walsh aired an episode of America's Most Wanted describing Brian David Mitchell. Brian's ex-wife, Debbie, ended up calling and saying, quote, he goes by Emmanuel. He's a con artist and has a psycho girlfriend, Wanda Barzi. When we were together, he molested our three-year-old son. One their, of Debbie- their three-year-old son? Like her son? No, it was hers from a previous marriage. Okay, gotcha. Still, not that that's any better whatsoever. That's still a child. Yeah. One of Debbie's daughters would come forward later saying he had sexually assaulted her for four years. That just gave me goosebumps. That's a terrible. That's terrible. It's a scummy person. Yeah. Wanda's children even came forward saying they believe Brian David Mitchell could do something like this. Like stealing Elizabeth. <laughs> oh. On March 12, 2003, two calls came in reporting that Brian David Mitchell had been seen walking with two women down State Street in Salt Lake City, Utah. When police arrived, the man said his name was Peter Marshall, and he was with his wife, Juliet Marshall, and daughter, Augustine Marshall. He said that they had given up all worldly possessions and that they were messengers of the Lord. When police ran names and dates of birth, nothing came back. The daughter was wearing a wig and sunglasses, and when asked about it, Peter says she had just had eye surgery and needed to keep the glasses on. One of the officers was able to slightly separate the younger girl from the other two, and while asking her questions, um, he held up a flyer that had been made with Elizabeth Smart's face on it for comparison. Though (laughs) Though it resembled her, the young girl had denied it for about 45 minutes. 45 minutes? All three were handcuffed and placed in separate police cars. One last time, the officer said, quote, this is your last chance of your own free will to tell us who you are. Are you Elizabeth Smart? And the girl responds, quote, thou sayest. Okay, so like thou sayest, meaning like if you say so. Or or is it more of like the words came from your mouth? Okay, I Mm -hmm. see. Okay. When driving Elizabeth and her captors to the nearest station, Ed received a call to arrive without further explanation. When everyone got to the station, Brian, Wanda, and Elizabeth were put in different interrogation rooms. When asked what happened, Elizabeth described her kidnapping in great detail. After giving her account of what happened, she was reunited with her family. So like happy ending. I mean, you know, happy ending, maybe not happy everything, but happy ending, you know, like mom, dad, yeah. brother, sisters, like everybody together. She's home. Yeah. After, Which is everything. So she was taken in what, June? Yeah. Early June. And then March 12th, the following year is when she was reunited. That's that's just such that's so many that's all the holidays holding birthdays. out hope for that long. Yeah, I think 
I would go insane. Okay, so now I'm gonna get into Elizabeth's account of what had happened to her. I think I we should give like a trigger warning here that there is, you know, trigger warning for rape, child abuse, and just graphic details. You just did it. Yeah. Um, so Elizabeth remembers falling asleep on the night of June 4th, 2002 and waking up to a man standing over her with a knife. This man said, quote, I have a knife at your neck. Don't make a sound. Get up and come with me. He leads her out of her room into the backyard through a vacant lot running across the street into the mountains. Into the the mountains? Mm -hmm. So like, have you been to Salt Lake City before? Isn't it surrounded by mountains? I haven't. Everything is mountains. There's like Salt Lake City. And then all these roads that leave out of Salt Lake City, just surrounded by mountains. So like, that's scary to be like, oh, those mountains, like, oh, those mountains or those mountains because it's just surrounded by mountains. That's crazy. On the way up the mountain, this man mentions that his wife is waiting for them. Elizabeth hears this and thinks that, you know, she was just taken because maybe they couldn't have children of their own. So they decided to take one from a family. Yeah. In the middle of the trees... There was a tent set up surrounded by tarps. Out of the tent comes a woman who is dressed oddly, meaning she was head to toe in white robes. She greets Elizabeth and brings her into the tent to undress her, sponge bathes her, and redresses her in a robe. Oh. She is told she can't wear underwear, and if she refused, Wanda threatened that Brian would come in and rip them off. So very traumatizing. Very. The first morning, Brian performed the sealing ceremony, which said that he and Elizabeth were now man and wife. A 14-year-old girl. It makes me, it just irks me. Like when I was 14, like I was playing volleyball and like hanging out with my friends, like a complete, a total child. I could not. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Well, she didn't have a say in it. No. Yeah. So Elizabeth had tried to describe why this was wrong and very much illegal. He kept coming back and saying that it was time for them to consummate their their marriage. Okay, so trigger warning right here because there's mention of rape. And if you want to skip ahead, you can. So at this point, Elizabeth knew that she was going to be raped. She said that she remembered thinking, if this is what sex is, I never want to have sex ever again. She was raped several times a day, forced to look at pornographic magazines, and Brian regularly threatened to kill her. This poor girl's 14. Mm -hmm. Her survival mechanism was to shut down and just do what they said because she didn't want to die. Elizabeth had been held captive for nine months. For the first few of those months, Elizabeth was chained to a tree. They took away everything that was important to her in her life, including her freedoms. Can you imagine being chained to a tree for like three months? I can't imagine any of this happening to me because I was a very safe child, like very taken care of and very loved and supported in all aspects of everything. 
Well, so Any, would she until she would kidnap. And that's why I'm saying I literally cannot fathom this happening to anyone, let alone, you know, from your fr- taken from your house. Yeah. You know, your whole sense of security is just shattered at that point. Mm-hmm. So they forced her to drink alcohol by saying she could not eat until she finished her drink. At one point, she remembers hearing her name being called a short distance away. Brian was holding a knife close to her at this time and said that if she screamed out, he would kill her. So she stayed silent. It was later discovered that it was the search party looking for her, calling her name. Like so close. So close. Elizabeth's captors said that everything that had happened was the will of God, which is an impression, which as an impressionable 14 year old, I'm sure warped her previous understanding of God. Yeah. Brian would make his trips to Salt Lake often. A few times he brought Wanda and Elizabeth with with him, but he said they couldn't speak in public. After the close encounter in the library, Brian wanted to move out of Utah. They moved to San Diego, California to attempt to kidnap other girls to become Brian's wives. They had not been able to kidnap anyone else and had talked about moving to another big city. Elizabeth hears this and says, quote, I have this feeling that God wants us to return to Salt Lake City. I know I'm unworthy and God would never speak to me, but do you think you could ask God if that's what we should do? I know God would never speak to me, but I know he will speak to you because you're his prophet. Sneaky sneaks, you know, (laughs) go her. Yeah. Yeah. This was, she was like, this is my chance to like get us back home. Yeah. This of course went straight to Brian's head and he agreed to go back to Salt Lake. At this point, everyone in Salt Lake knew who they were looking for. And they finally found him with the two women leading to Elizabeth's rescue. After hearing Elizabeth's statement, police had cause to arrest Brian and Wanda for aggravated kidnapping and aggravated sexual assault. During Brian's interrogation, every time he got close to admitting what he had done, he would retreat into his religious outbreak. The only admission he made was, quote, I had plundered Ed Smart. I had plundered. Ed smart. Yeah. Like, haha, got you. <sighs> oh, what a response. Mm-hmm. He's a psychopath. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, trial. In 2004, 2006, and 2008, Brian David Mitchell was deemed unfit to stand trial. Eventually, in 2010, eight years after she had been rescued, the case finally went to court. Competency hearings were held for Brian David Mitchell and Wanda Barcy. They found that Brian did not have any mental illness. Rather, he was just being an arrogant religious man. Basically, everyone knew the way he acted in court was a charade. Elizabeth realized when she saw him in shackles that that he had no power over her. Wanda Barzi pled guilty to kidnapping and unlawful transportation of a minor and was sentenced to 15 years in prison minus time served. As a part of her deal, she testified against Brian. Brian was sentenced to life in prison and is currently serving 
his sentence at U.S. Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. Wanda was released in September 2018. Oh, so she's out. Yeah, because nobody likes that. No. So where is Elizabeth now? Um, Elizabeth became an ag- advocate for survivors. In 2011, she started the Elizabeth Smart Foundation, which provides recovery, advocacy, and prevention resources for victims and families. She's married and has three kids, and she still plays the harp. What are the odds that you come out of this on the other side and just make of it what she has? Because, I mean... I know. What an incredible individual to like go through trauma after trauma after for months, trauma after trauma and to come out of it normal, like somewhat normal. Yeah. And and again, I, you know, I'm sure she's gone through therapy and talked through it all and things like that. But yeah, still to come out on the other side. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's an inspiration. Absolutely. Um, if you guys want to follow her, she is on Instagram. She's super cool. I feel like I could like reach out and just talk to her. Very personable person. Yeah. So yeah, that was Elizabeth Smart. Thanks for listening. Make sure all your windows are locked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And doors. Of course. Windows but and the doors. That's a given. At least yeah no 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 make sure they're locked i was gonna say at least make sure they're shut but like make sure they're locked probably lock them people people apparently have knives thank you guys for listening um we hope you stay tuned for our next episode um if you guys have questions comments concerns any insights cool stories you want to share suggestions um email us at stayinsidepod at gmail.com If you guys want to follow us on Instagram, our Insta handle is stay inside podcast. Okay. That's a wrap on our, uh, on our first episode. (laughs) Stay inside peeps. Stay inside. (laughs) Bye.